0: This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. Interactive floor projections and video walls have been around for well more than a decade now, but there hasn't really been widespread adoption for a bunch of reasons, like cost, complication, and the simple reality that a lot of what's been shown to date hasn't had much of a point. A Canadian company, Lumo Interactive, is in a nice position to change all of that. The hardware is simple, The software is affordable and scalable, and the solution comes with some 300 templated content apps that help users tune the visual experience to the needs of the venue and the audience. Instead of visual eye candy, these apps are things like fun, engaging games. The straightforward pitch for the product, LumoPlay, is that the software can make any digital display interactive. The top end for the software side of the solution is $74 US a month, so it is very affordable and the developers have put years of work into ensuring the setups are hyper-stable and can be managed remotely. We've all walked through flagship retail spaces and seen one-off experiential setups that were hung up or sitting unused because they were more about the short-term bling than ongoing usage. The other interesting aspect of LumoPlay is that the main intended use case is classrooms, with these interactive pieces used as a way to engage kids in schools, particularly kids who have sensory issues, autism, or ADHD. I had a great chat right before Christmas with founder and CEO, Megan Atovle. Megan, thank you for joining me. Can you tell me what Lumo does? And is it is Lumo Play the product and Lumo Interactive the company?
1: Yes. Uh, okay. Lumo Interactive is the company. Lumo Play is the product. And what we do is we make it easy to scale large-scale interactive digital experiences. Um, so these are experiences on digital displays that react either through motion or touch or gesture.
0: Okay, so uh, this would be everything from something on a wall, a video wall, to uh, something on the floor. And uh, a lot of digital signage people, if they've been around this space for a good long time, they may recall through the years seeing uh, "quote unquote" activations where there's a floor projection. I remember there was a company called Reactrix back in the mid 2000s that was doing this sort of thing. So it's kind of kind of like that but i'm sure a a lot more advanced and different uh, just because of the years and technology
1: yeah it's pretty much exactly like that um the where it's come from the days of Reatrix and the the early days of companies like gesture tech and uh iClick, um is we've moved more towards a, pl- a software platform software only platform mm-hmm. um when this technology first hit the scene you needed to have special hardware um you couldn't just go down to Best Buy and and buy a three D camera. So now that the hardware is more ubiquitous and uh, more affordable, it's possible to have a hardware agnostic software only solution, and that's what we that's what we are.
0: Mm-hmm. So this kind of uh, to kind of borrow a phrase democratizes this whole thing. In that in, in the old days, it would have been incredibly expensive and complicated to do, and now it's not right.
1: That's right. Yeah. And um, I think we also just have, you know, multiple decades of um, information about what people are using this technology for. So we're able to templatize a lot of the experiences so that companies don't need to have development teams in order Mm -hmm. to make some of these simple, the simpler interactions. They can just do an asset swap. So you know, it, it's kind of the natural progression of a lot of these things where websites used to be hand coded and then we went into WYSIWYGS and then we went into systems like Wix and Squarespace. Um, we're kind of like the Wix or Squarespace of interactive digital displays.
0: Right. So if I want to do an interactive digital display, it's like me using WordPress and buying a theme.
1: Yeah, to a certain extent, exactly.
0: Hmm. So you you guys have done all the heavy lifting, so to speak, in terms of the, the backend coding, uh, how everything maps, but also I think I saw there was something like two hundred different uh, apps or uh, in a, in a library.
1: Yeah, there's three hundred um, pre pre made experiences, um, and are they're kind they they're kind of like constantly turning over. So we have some uh, in there that have been there for ten years that we will replace with something new um we're constantly rolling over those apps and we take uh, requests from our community and that's one of the things that our business model gives us the freedom to do is because we're not reliant on um selling hardware and our community is is very vast we represent um you know everything from education to like large brands um our community can make requests for new apps and we'll just make them and add them to our market. So we don't have, um, we don't have the, the restrictions of having to charge like through the nose for custom content development, because we've developed these systems that make it very easy to pump out new content. Um, and then the other thing that we offer as far as content goes, like sort of out of the box content is we have an SDK for the companies that do have in-house developers um, and then we've got a number of different templates, so you can just say, "I want to make a koi pond," then I want to mm-hmm. throw my my business's logo behind it, and you could whip something like that off in five minutes.
0: So, are are the templates purely done in house, or do you have like uh, third party designers who are contributing? At this, that's a,
1: that's a great question. At this point, they're all done in house. Um, we are working towards outsourcing a lot of our content development, just because it it'll give us. A wider breadth of content um, mm. and make make that content more available. We're kind of just in the very beginning um, of seeing rollouts that are large enough to make uh, joining a content development a third party content development team, you know, attractive. Um, mm. I think uh, like we see this in gaming consoles all the time, where you'll have a, a new fantastic console that comes out. It's low cost and um, they're trying to get game developers to create games for that console. But unless like thousands and thousands and thousands of people have that console and are buying games for it, it's not really worth making a game for it. So we're mm-hmm. kind of at the, at the stage where we're starting to see enough of a widespread and permanent deployment of systems running on our platform that it, it makes sense to have those conversations with, with, uh, third party development teams now. And, and we're starting to have those conversations.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask about scale because one of the particular compelling things about uh, your company and your offer is cost in in terms of it's not very expensive at all to use this. Can you kind of walk through that and, you know, how, not really how the financials work, but you're not charging a lot per instance of this uh, on a monthly basis. So you need to have a lot of them out there, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, And we do still make a percentage of our revenue on. Five or six big custom projects a year. Um, I would say that our our MRR is about half represents about half of our revenue. Um, the goal is to reach you know a point in scale where we can just focus on the platform. Um, but the reason that we've priced it, we I do get asked pretty frequently why it costs so little. Um, there's a couple reasons. One, the the biggest one I think is just we, we want to um, make this, you mentioned democratizing uh, the technology. We want to make this technology available and affordable to schools. That's our primary goal is um, as a business, uh, myself and my business partner, our moms were both special needs teachers. We, we've seen firsthand the struggles that teachers and educators have in getting technology into their classrooms that are, um, that they need for, you know, Kids with sensory issues or, or children with uh, with autism or ADHD, and uh, we've seen how effective uh, interactive digital displays can be in those environments, particularly for things like increasing um, social skills. A lot of these kids come in and they're um, they're really stuck on screens. They're very stuck on uh, virtual experiences, and so. It becomes a bridge uh, where they can engage with one another and with their teachers socially while still having that digital feedback. Um, and you know it's just very, very important to us that that our pricing is reflects our values as a company, and that's one of our core values is making this accessible for education. Um, but the other is that we really don't need to charge a lot for what we want to do. Um, so yeah. at this point, our companies, main sort of work on the platform is around supporting hardware. So as new devices come out, um, we're adding support for them so that, you know, you can download our software and you can plug in any of the commercially available 3d cameras and it'll automatically recognize and calibrate that camera for you and and take out the computer vision steps and, and like specific requirements for each individual device Um, sort of like DirectX. I think that would probably be the the closest analog. Uh, You know, you you want something that you can, that's plug and play, regardless of which device you're using to achieve the the tracking. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to focus on that. We want to focus on the tools that allow people to scale these projects to multiple locations. So um, if you have an interactive uh, display in a flag store, a flagship store and you want to you want to put it into all of your stores um the step from from running your proof of concept to scaling it to a hundred locations is very very simple using our platform and it's because we're constantly pushing updates and we do health management we have a content management system and those are the things that we want to that we want to focus on long-term. We don't necessarily want to focus on developing the individual games. We want to make right. the game development stuff as easy for other people to do as possible because we don't have all the ideas in the world. But we are really, really good at making sure that other people's ideas continue to run and don't go down. So,
0: And just so people understand, your your top-end cost is, if you work it out on a monthly basis, it's 74 bucks US a month, right?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's as high as it gets.
0: And if you were to have this done, if if, I, if I'm an agency and I decide I have a, a beauty brand client that wants some sort of an activation that's an interactive floor or wall or whatever, that's going to cost, oh boy, <laughs> like five, six figures probably, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it like... The the really the the part that determines the cost of any of these installations is the hardware you choose to use. So, um, if you're a you know a, a brand and you're developing the content from scratch, and you're maybe hiring our team or hiring a third party um, to develop custom content for you. There may be 3D modeling involved. There may be compositing. Um, you might have multi level programming. You might have a second screen experience, and so all of those things add up. Um, but, you know, uh, we can generally when somebody comes to us and uh, asks for like a ballpark estimate, the only thing we really need to understand is where is it going and what kind of like right. what kind of display are you planning to use? And we can generally come up with a, a range.
0: Right. But it's going to be if you're doing it, it's going to be a fraction of what it would cost if you just went to uh, interactive agency and said, build this, please.
1: Absolutely. Um, but I think that something to keep in mind is that if you're going to an interactive agency, and you don't have an idea yet, um, you're likely going to pay less. If if you go to uh, an agency and what you're paying them to do is to figure out what the activation actually should be, mm-hmm. um, that we're not an agency. And so our, our company isn't, we don't position ourselves as somebody that's doing like, that's going to do a lot of like, research and problem solving. Right. Um, but what we can do is scale You're not moment that factory. Yeah, exactly. We're not, and we don't, and we don't want to fill that niche because mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, it's a different skill set, and it uh, requires, you know, it, it it requires the ability to experiment with things on a one time basis. Um, so, you know, you may develop a, a solution for a brand or. A display for the Super Bowl or something like that, where you're using this, you're using a specific set of hardware just one time, um, and that's that's fantastic. Like I love, I love that there are agencies in the world that get to do that. That's not what we do. We we mm-hmm. look at it and go, how do we make this happen? You know, a thousand times, um, right. and that's a very different way of looking at things. So I think you know. If you want something that already exists, if you want an experience that already exists and you just want to put your stamp on it and create uh, something that gives it like um, a unique feel for your brand or experience, that's where you come to us. Uh, if you want something that's never been done before in the entire world and it uses new technology that hasn't been proven long term in the industry, right. team lab, motion um Uh, Moment Factory, those companies are the, that's where you would go, but it is a lot more expensive for sure.
0: Right. You're starting to use things like LiDAR and everything else.
1: Yeah. The risk is just so much higher. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and you, you know, you need people on the ground, you need somebody, you need, you need to roll a truck if something goes wrong. Uh, Whereas with our systems, we're, we're way past that point.
0: Yeah. Because you've got the device management, you know, designed in for scale and everything else. Right.
1: Yeah, we don't release anything into the market that hasn't been tested thoroughly in our labs for like months and months and months at a time. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we have the ability to to guarantee things, whereas some of these riskier projects, you're kind of, you know, as long as you hire somebody that knows what they're doing, they're going to find a way to make it work, but they're not necessarily going to be able to tell you how from the beginning of the project. So,
0: so for something like a classroom. What's the kit of parts, and what's the degree of complexity to put this in
1: uh most classrooms either have an interactive floor or an interactive wall or both um already uh no they'll uh, they'll that's what they're that's what they're putting in oh I see okay uh, and it's basically the same technology for either um we designed our software so it works with any projector and a lot of classrooms already have projectors so they'll mm-hmm. just use what they have um so you've got your display which in in classrooms is typically a projector um and a 3D camera and a com- a windows computer um and we typically recommend that people use like the the sort of baseline specification on our site is an i5 uh, or equivalent um with a, a decent graphics card, you know, you don't want like something that's not going to be able to run games because that's mm-hmm. basically what, what we're running. Um, and the the cost is usually like for including the projector for a classroom is usually around 2000 2500
0: mm-hmm. And to set that up, is it the sort of thing that the school district or the school's uh, IT person or people have to do that or is it simplistic to a level that a teacher if they you know if they've already got a projector pointed at a at a at a white board of some kind they can just do it themselves
1: so teachers can do it themselves and, and we often help teachers do it themselves um but nowadays they're busy <laughs> it's a it's yeah. a teaching teaching's not an easy career right now um and uh, so, yeah, we're we're typically dealing with the IT personnel for an entire division when these installations are going in.
0: Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're dealing with a full division or district, are they rolling out like that, or is it still kind of onesie twosie?
1: It's usually one per school across an entire district, is what we're seeing, and that's mostly in the U.S. Uh, we haven't really seen a, like nearly the same traction in schools in Canada yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't say at the outset, but you're in Montreal.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Uh, and why do you think that is just because of the way education works in Canada versus the U.S.?
1: I'm not entirely sure. I, I know that it's it's like that in all of our verticals. So it's not just education. Um, I would say retail events, all all of the verticals that we serve, uh, we have faster pickup and, and like larger rollouts in the U.S. It could be the population is just much bigger. Um, I think that we're in stupid Canada, up here. I think we're just not risk takers and and I think also we are like to a certain extent, we're limited by um, things like weather and the accessibility of venues to mm-hmm. having these types of you know there's there's a lot more venues in the US that have built in inter- or built-in walls or built-in interactive components that um, we just we can just hop our software onto them. I don't think we just we, there's not as many opportunities here.
2: For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data, create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at ScreenFeed.com.
0: You mentioned uh, in detail education. What what other vertical markets or segments? Uh, are are you seeing a lot of activity in
1: events is the fastest growing segment. Mm -hmm. Um, so people who, and this is like events of, of all different sizes, um, and lengths. So it could be something that is like a, a week long trade show. It could be, um, uh, like a, a birthday party for kids. It could be somebody that is a DJ and they're, you know, bringing an interactive floor to all of their gigs. Um, it's really all over the map. Um, we just did a pop up in Times Square for a major chocolate brand. Uh, we've done interactives for the launches of movies. Um, so, like those short term events where the they're developing like their own special content, um, and it's on for like less than a month. I would mm. say is our fastest growing uh, vertical.
0: Okay, interesting. We we. we... Talked a little bit about uh, planning uh, b- before we turned on the, uh, the recording. And I, I'm curious about how these things get planned out and how you ensure and how your, your users ensure that what they're putting up gets beyond just being eye candy/slash Wow Factor stuff. Because I, I often say that Wow Factor has a, a short shelf life
1: yeah and i i absolutely agree with you um i think you have to there has to be a balance between like the cost and the reward of experiences like this and one of the biggest mistakes that we see people making is they'll see something um on the internet they'll see something in video format and they'll think i need that at my event or i need that in my museum um and they'll skip the part of like why they need it. It'll it, it'll <laughs> yeah. it'll be entirely like an emotional decision. Um, yeah, I
0: want that.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the challenge here is that there are so many experiences more and more every single day that uh, are faked. Um, we get sent videos all the time with people asking us uh, to do. Um, there's a there's a lot of like uh, I'm trying to remember what the word is and anamorphic,
0: uh, yeah, anamorphic illusions.
1: Yeah. The anamorphic illusions, uh, people will see videos of that and they'll be like, I want that, but interactive, can you make it? And they don't, because they're seeing a video and the video is staged. And in some cases the video is a complete composite. It's not even mm-hmm. something that actually happened in the real world. They won't understand that it doesn't work, um, from, anything except for one very particular perspective. So Mm -hmm. the person who's interacting with an an anamorphic content is not going to see what the person watching from the, across the street on a particular street corner is going to see. And um, same thing with like large scale digital displays, people will see these huge led walls. And I think um, you saw this at, at our booth at LDI, when you walk right up to a big led wall, you're not seeing, you're seeing the individual pixels. You're not seeing the same image that somebody watching from far away is. And so I think that like those limitations are very difficult for people to um, understand and appreciate unless they've actually seen the installation in in person. So I would say if you're, if you see something and you're planning to put it in an event, you're planning to use it in a brand activation, um, go see that, experience in person first. Don't don't make a decision about whether or not you need it until you've actually personally experienced it because seeing it on a video is not the same thing mm-hmm. as what it's gonna look like in real life. And then the other the other th- advice that I give to people when they when they come to me with the wow factor criteria is like what do you want the takeaway to be? Do you want yeah. people is this a shareable thing? Do you want to do you want a hundred people who come to your event to put up a hundred different videos and tag you in them. Like, what is your metric for success? Um, because if that's it, then the content's gonna be very different than if you want a um, hundred people to enter their emails in order to play a game or, you know, you need to know what, at the end of the day, what you're walking away from after you've put that activation in
0: place. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen different iterations of this stuff. I, the, the, the the applications in classrooms, I, I think, is fantastic, and you know, it, it plays to kids and their whimsy and everything else. They want to be involved. Uh, I find it's quite different. Uh, a lot of the ones that I've seen in public spaces, like shopping malls and so on, where you're you're you you see the kids running around doing stuff, interacting with it, but you don't really see the adults, and that's fine if it's aimed at kids. But I uh, I wonder sometimes when brands do these things. Uh, that the only real interest uh, is with children and uh, adults are saying, well, I'm not doing that. I'm I'm not an extrovert. I don't want to do this trickery in front of other people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a very fair point. And um, one of the things that we noticed when we first started putting particularly interactive floors into retail spaces um, was that, we still have like an entire generation of adults and i would count my own generation in there we've been trained not to step on screens like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know it's your your impulse isn't to go running through the light um the the, the generations who are comfortable with that and who do ex- who grew up with touch screens and ex- expect everything to be interactive um i think are you know they're they're in their 20s and and early 30s now so we are seeing that change quite a bit where there's Um, you know, from, I I would say from about 35 years down, uh, we aren't seeing that, that like hesitancy to interact with things, Mm -hmm. but I do think that we still have a long way to go in discovering how the content can be used. Um, and a a lot of times it's to augment like physical experiences is how you get adults to engage. So, um, think like ax throwing, adding really cool interactive graphics to an ax throwing experience is something that's going to like really delight, um, mm. an older crowd. Uh, same thing with bowling alleys, making those interactive. Mm. Um, so I think like,
0: so there's they're kind of becoming ho- Wii games.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I think that like a lot of the time people think that there's a choice between, uh, virtual experiences in VR and physical experiences like you would have with a traditional family entertainment center. Um, but what, what, what our software allows you to do is combine the two. So you have a headset free experience that does have digital interactive components, but also you're engaging with something physical. So we do like a lot of like, um, air hockey tables, pool tables, things like that, where you're still playing pool, you're still using physical paddles, you're Mm -hmm. still using, but there's, there's interactive, like digital visual elements on top of that. Um, that's where, that's where we're seeing like, you know, unquestionable pickup by older Yeah, so where
0: there's tangible fun or some sort of an activity versus, so often when I've gone to trade shows, if I see some sort of a interactive video wall thing, it's it's you know please walk up to this thing and dance in front of it or wave your arms and there'll be light particles and I'm thinking, well that's nice, but I don't see the business case here and I don't think it's interesting for more than ten seconds.
1: For sure, if you're in an environment where you're dancing anyway, having cool visual effects while you're dancing sure. is like a good bonus and i think that's how we have to think about it in terms of engaging an older audience is you need to be augmenting something that they're doing anyways um you can't expect them to do an activity that they wouldn't normally do just because there's like eye candy um mm. but if they're doing something anyways if they're already in a curling league and and you can make their curling more fun
0: well, We're um, getting really canadian here
1: Right. I mean, uh, and like I'm available for anyone who wants to try that. I haven't actually, I've done, I've done soccer. I've done hockey. I've done all of, I haven't done curling yet. I would really like to make an interactive curling experience. Um, so yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean like that's, that's where you, that's where you attract adults is by, um, you know, helping make something that they want to do anyways, much cooler.
0: Where did this come from?
1: Um, like, why did you like start a, this company? Very existential question. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so we started, the. Co- we, it's actually a pretty funny story. We started the company by accident, um, myself and my co-founders, uh, Keith Otto and Curtis Walks. Um, we all worked at an agency together and uh, we started doing, it was sort of like back in the day, this was like um, 2010. Uh, back in the days when Instructables and a lot of those sort of how-to YouTube channels were just starting, um, and we we started hanging out after work and just making stuff, um, and it was all things that we would never get hired to make. So you know we were de- we were designing our own touch screens. We created our own mist screen uh, for projection. We did a lot of building projections. Um, and it was all for fun. It was all, you know, we just, we saw other people doing it all over the world. We thought it was really like a, a fun hobby. And um, we started throwing parties to kind of show off some of the things that we were making. And a friend of mine, Kayla Jensen, who is a, an incredible videographer, she also has moved out to Montreal. Um, this all happened back in Winnipeg, which is where my company's based. Oh, okay. Um. So we're all back in Winnipeg. Kayla shows up at one of the parties that were showing um it was like an SMS. This is before um before Facebook. Uh so it was an SMS controlled wall where you we were sending text messages and it was making things happen on the wall. Um she took a video and that video ended up going viral. And um we found out about it after the fact and we started getting contacted by different businesses and the university of reno and nevada reached out and said hey we'd really like to have something cool like this in our um in our uh our cafeteria and curtis and i just looked at each other and were like wow people will people will pay us to do this <laughs> so i mean we went we rent we registered a business and we all quit our jobs we applied for cmf funding um and uh, we, we sort of launched as an agency designing these interactive experiences. And within the first two years, realized that the biggest challenge was once the experience is in place, how do you keep it maintained? How do you make sure that it's going to uh, continue running? And that installation that we did like back in, I think it, it went in um, early 2011 um, in the cafeteria in Reno is still running. Um, and so, you know, part of it was just like, started by accident because a hobby that we were doing for fun um led to like some economic opportunities for us and uh the the direction that we ended up taking was as a result of um people liking what we did long like enough to want to keep it running to to want to keep you know have us continue updating it and we've we've had a number of large scale installations. There's one in Red Rock, Ontario uh, where they've done entire refreshes. You know, they, we, we did our original installation for them in 2011 as well. And just very recently um, replaced and updated a bunch of the software for them. So, you know, the validation has been there for that being like the thing to focus on is how to make these experiences last not how right. to make them cool for a week. So,
0: mm-hmm. uh, you've, Growing the, or let me back up, the, the, <laughs> the company's quite small. It, it's I believe it's just like a handful of people, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. There's four of us,
0: and uh, that's all you need to be because you're you're not getting into the weeds with the hardware. And I, I think you sell the hardware that you have through a reseller, Simply Nook.
1: Yeah, we have a number of resellers, but Simply okay. Nook is our our preferred partner because we they send us everything that they're selling, so we can test it twenty four seven. Um, Mm -hmm. so we're, we're able to say like with, with high, high, high confidence that anything you buy from Simply Nook is going to run long-term with our software. Um, I would like a bigger team in all honesty. We had to let a a few people go before the, like during the pandemic, I think one year in we were like, okay, this is not gonna, we're not going to be able to sustain ourselves with a larger team. Um, so I think we'd like to see, uh some growth in the team within the next year or so. Mm. Um, but we are, we have been able, because of the way that we've built our, our platform, we're able to outsource stuff that we can't, you know, do we, where we don't have enough work to bring somebody in house for, uh, long periods of time. And there's also just like amazing resources out there for, for outsourcing now that didn't exist when we first started the company. So, um, so yeah, it's a small team. I don't I don't anticipate that we'll ever be much more than ten people.
0: Um mm. but, but a few uh, more wouldn't hurt.
1: Yeah, a few more wouldn't hurt. I'd like I'd like to build in a little bit more redundancy. And you know, I'm getting older. And <laughs> one one of these <laughs> days I'm hoping that there will be some sort of a success succession. So um but for now, yeah, like the there's not um because of the relationship that we have with our resellers and our installers, there's really not a lot of mission critical stuff on our side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we push our regular updates, we um, create, you know, new content in response to community requests and stuff, but not a lot of the work that we do is like on a deadline or um, you know, it's pretty, it's a pretty chill working environment right? Uh, where we kind of identify things that we think are going to be, of value to the customer. And then we ask for customers and then we build the thing. So, um, there's no pressure. And there's also like, you know, knock on wood at this point, not a ton of competition because it's still a very niche market. So, um, we don't feel the pressure to be like, you know, the, the, the trade show that you and I met on, uh, was the first, we've been in business for like 13 years. That was the first time we've ever done a trade show exhibit. Um, oh, wow.
0: And and, and, and what was your takeaway from that?
1: Um, it, was, it, it was great. It was, uh, it was definitely time. Um, uh, we came away with quite a few new customers. Um, and we, the reason that we chose, it was LDI. And the reason we chose uh, LDI as our first trade show is because there are so many companies that do events. Mm-hmm. Um, and while the total lifetime value of customers in the event space isn't as high as you know education would be or, or something where it's a permanent installation. Um, there's just a lot more of them and it's a lower hanging fruit. So uh, that's we're hoping to bump up our revenue enough that we can start expanding our right. team You know, sometime mid-next year. Uh,
0: do you have a reference case or a, like a handful of reference cases? Like if people said, this sounds really cool. I can't really just walk into a classroom, obviously. Are there museums or, or public spaces or something like that where I could go see this?
1: Yeah, um, there are quite a few. So um, what we usually ask people to do is if they want to see an installation of ours in real life and they aren't able to set it up themselves, um, just contact us. Let us know what city you're in and we'll we'll find somebody in your area that you can go visit. There's a lot of like li- public libraries and museums and buildings that are open to the public that have installations in them. Um, And then the other thing that people can do is we have a free evaluation version of our software that you can just download and install. So, um, you know, for people that are getting into this on a commercial basis, it's just it's a really good idea to set up Mm -hmm. a system for yourself. And test it out and play around with the tools before you try. Like, don't pitch it to your customers till you've tried it. Right. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> so, but, um, so yeah, we we make it possible for people to just like install it for free and and play around with it before they make any sort of purchase or before they make any representations to their customers about what it can do.
0: Okay. All right. So, if people want to find you online, that's LumoPlay.com, right?
1: Yep, that's right. Lemoplay.com. And if you reach out through the site, you will be talking to me. My name's Megan.
0: (laughs) All right, Megan, thank you very much.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you, Dave.
0: That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 16.9, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 16.9 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 16.9 is not a press release republishing mill like a lot of the stuff out there. If something makes it on 16.9, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 69 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 69, the blog, and the podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.